Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are a recording of our Sunday morning meetings. We pray that these will be a blessing to you. So please, enjoy listening. If you want to know more, please contact us at office at livingstoneschurch.co.uk. Let's get going. I've got uh, coffee coursing through my veins, so I'm ready to ready to go and to say hello, everybody. Welcome and welcome to our visitors. Hello, 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 everyone. Wave, please wave our visitors. I'm uh, oh, Robbie. Wave as well. Um, so I'm Rob. I'm part of the leadership team here at Living Stones. You're very welcome uh, with us this morning, and it is a special morning. Do any of our young people know what today is? Sunday. Oh, that sounded like an older person, but we'll give them that anyway. Anybody? Shannon? Yes. First Sunday of Advent. Well done, Shannon. I'll tap the desk for that. And so what does that mean? That means we're going to start lighting our Advent wreath, which I will pull forward slightly here. Away from the curtain. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, good, good idea. And away from that paper on there as well. That would be quite bad. Um, so today we'll light the first candle. So slightly tougher question. Does anybody know what the first candle represents? Anybody? Olivia? No? Jesse? No, we didn't talk about this earlier, did we? I forgot forgot to brief you. Amelia Burrow. Sorry, let me come over to you. The first Advent Sunday? Yes, it is the first Advent Sunday, and the candle represents hope. And also, I understand, also prophecy, but we uh, we tend to go with hope. And I was going to ask someone to light it, and I'm just looking for him. I can see, you know, I've, got already, I've already asked Tay. Tay, could you come up and light our first candle, please? Now, Tay told me when I was preparing for this that he did it first last year as well, and he did a great job. So he's very, very good to come and do it this year. He's waited a year for this. So, right, here we go. Okay. You've done this before, so you're quite a professional. You probably know it better than I do. So this candle represents the hope that we have in Jesus and it's not it's not a kind of faint wishy-washy hope it's not like the hope that I've got that England will smash Wales 5-0 on Tuesday it's not that kind of hope it's a it's a it's a hope for what's to come it's a hope for what we know happened 2000 years ago and it's a hope for what we know is coming will it be in my lifetime will it be before this big meeting I've got next Tuesday that I don't want to go to I don't know but it will happen and we have that hope uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ so today uh, you can do that one well done yeah okay put it away that's it well done right I'll take that for you put that in my pocket or something right now then Tay can you read us can you read that first of all I'll, I'll pass you the mic so say say which reference is Psalm 33 20 we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Brilliant. Thank you, Taya. Now, will you, the second bit here as well, will you pray for us? Hang on, let me give you the mic. Almighty God, as we wait for the coming of our Saviour, give us the courage to hope. Give us grace to see your plans of redemption for our lives, for this community and the world through Jesus Christ, the one who saves us and gives us hope. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you, Tay. Very good. Very good indeed. Now, what we have got here is Advent candles. I always felt like I'd been a bit sold out when I got these as a kid, but now as an adult, I think they're absolutely fantastic. Um, would any, if anybody would like a candle, Justin, do they come and get them now, or do we give them at the end? Would anybody like to come and grab a candle? Olivia and Jessica, yeah, you'll have a candle. Come on then, come and grab a candle. Just one candle. We'll put it on our mantelpiece, try not to burn the house down. You get off Joe as well. Okay, that's fine. Up you come then. Amelia and Thomas, there we go. One for you, the Borough family. Shannon, yep, come and grab one. There we go. Oh, here we go. Yes. Candle for you. There we go. And another candle. And two families. Yep. Hello. A candle for you as well, sir. Oh, okay. Very good. Well, it's good. It provides light as well as heat. So that's fantastic. Okay. And we've got more candles here if uh, folks would like them. Mandy, I think we should have some worship. I think we should have some worship too. And we can have some worship. So. We're going to sing Let Everything That Has Breath, which is an amazing song because um, I didn't have much breath the other day because I've got a cold and I just praise God. And this comes from Psalm 50. So I'm going to read three verses from that, the first, the second and the last. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. That's here. Praise him in his mighty firmament. We can see so much of mighty firmament out there. Praise him for his mighty acts. Each one of us has mighty acts that either we've done or have been part of. And praise him according to his excellent greatness. And the last verse is, this is the last verse of the whole book of Psalms. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So let's stand and praise <laughs> Just before we're going to sing the first verse again. It, just before the service, the meeting, Kaz was praying and she said, a puzzle is coming together here. And I immediately thought of a jigsaw puzzle as she prayed with many pieces. And when you were just singing, when we were just singing and worshipping, just right now, I could hear the strength of God in us as we come towards him in worship as we are before his throne that there is to be nothing between us and his throne individually and I was always so thinking that last line I will tell of your great love for us as long as I live we've got people here who've got decades left to live if you count your life in decades it's quite short decades are ten years periods of time there are children and young people in here who already belong to you, Lord, decades to tell of your great love for as long as they live, Lord. And those of us who've got fewer decades, Father, we thank you that we have those years, Lord, left to praise you and tell of our great God. So we're going to sing verse 1 again. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see some new faces here this morning. For the uninitiated, 
Family time is our chance to get a bit interactive, a little bit silly. <laughs> Hopefully have some fun. Okay. What are you looking forward to? Yes, Shannon. Christmas. The obvious one. Yes, Tay. <laughs> Brilliant. You see, England hold up the World Cup. Who believes England are going to be holding up the World Cup? Yeah. <laughs> Christians have a faith, but it's not a blind faith. Anybody else? What are you looking forward to? Or what are you waiting for? Yes, Jess. Looking forward to your birthday. And I know when your birthday is. It's on the 21st of December. Yeah. Whee! Four days before Christmas. So it's big parties in your house in Christmas week. Yes, Liv. Your birthday. When's your birthday? Of December. Is that right? Oh, my goodness. Expensive months. We have a whip round for the, for the Kellys. Okay, well, today we are looking... Sorry, Thomas. What are you looking forward to? TV. TV later. Every day, TV. Thomas lives for TV. Shannon, I've done you once. I need to carry on. I've actually done this talk already once this weekend, and it went on for about three times longer than it should. I'm going for twice as long as it should today. We are looking at a man called Simeon. And Simeon had been waiting. I don't know about you, but I'm not blessed with the gift of patience, as my wife will attest. But Simeon was a man that had a lot of patience. Now, Simeon actually appears in the Nativity story. But I reckon most of you have probably been in or at least witnessed a Nativity play. And I don't think Simeon gets the exposure he deserves. He's not in there, is he? We've got the, obviously, Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the stable and the shepherds um, and sometimes later we've got the wise men and there's angels singing. Um, but probably not Simeon. Simeon gets a bit overlooked. Well, today we're going to put that right, everyone. Yay! So I need some volunteers. Okay. Okay. I need a Mary and Joseph. Okay. Oh, do I choose my own children? <laughs> I'll, I'll choose, yeah, I'll choose you next time, okay. What, what I'm going to do, I'm going to choose some of our, can I call you guests? Some of our visitors. Um, would you like to come to the front? Yeah? The two of you with your hands. Uh, listen to you. Uh, do you do drama? Oh, brilliant. Okay, we'll come to the front. This is probably going to be a bit disappointing for you now if you do drama. <laughs> Yeah, you come as well. 
Okay. So I'd like you to be Mary, and can you be Joseph? Okay, and I want to introduce you to your son. This is Jesus. Okay. Now, it's important that you stand here because this is the entrance to the temple, okay? This is the temple. There's a lot of people in the temple today. Um, and I want you to pick up these. Maybe one of you holds those and the other one the baby. Okay. And then I need a very old man. <laughs> All right. I couldn't have chosen better. <laughs> okay. So, somewhere between the shepherds and the wise men, we have this story. Now, Jesus is about, oh, he is 40 days old. And Mary and Joseph are required to bring Jesus to the temple, to have him consecrated to God to make a thanksgiving sacrifice. Now, if you were poor in those days, that sacrifice, if you'd like to hold these up, would consist of either two doves or two pigeons. I'm afraid I didn't have doves or pigeons, but you'll have to use your imagination. And uh, they were required for the, um, for the uh, consecration of Jesus and the sacrifice. Okay, so things are not looking good for our doves and pigeons. Um, but uh, Joseph is holding those. So Mary and Joseph entered the temple with Jesus. Okay. Well done. You can, you can see that you do drama. <laughs> okay. Now, Simeon, if you'd just like to go out there, just, just outside the temple. Okay. Now, Simeon, you're an old man. Does anyone have any idea how old Simeon was? Now, Amelia, I know you know the answer because you were there on Friday. So, <laughs> Anybody else before Amelia gives us the answer? Jess, you were there on Friday. Anybody that wasn't there on Friday? Anyone want to have a guess at how old this very old man was? Yes, Mary. Okay, well, I have to tell you, 197 is very close. Experts believe that Simeon was 200 years old. I know, wow. Now, that was exceptional. That is exceptional, isn't it? But you see, the thing was, God had told Simeon that he would not die until he had seen God's king, until he had seen the Messiah. So, Simeon, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and getting older and older and older. You've been waiting literally ages for this moment. Okay. And then, on this day, finally, God tells you that Jesus has arrived. Okay. You're pretty excited, right? Yeah. What kind of emotions do you... <laughs> you, are, you are allowed to ham it up if you want to. I know you're capable of this. Okay. What kind of emotions do you think Simeon would have been feeling, everyone? Relief, can you... Jonathan, can you do relief? That's a hard... That's, yeah. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. What else? Excited. Can you do excited? 
<laughs> Any other emotions? What would, what would Simeon be feeling? Yes. Happy. Happy, yeah. He would, yeah. He'd probably be feeling some joint and hip pain, but mostly happiness, excitement, anticipation. So Simeon, carrying all these emotions... You now enter the temple to meet Jesus. Can you do that for me? Okay, so through, through the temple gate doors, and you can pick up the baby Jesus and hold Jesus in your arms. Yeah, yeah. Hold him very carefully. This is where it started to unravel on Friday night. Now, I don't know about you, but when I picture a hero, I picture Batman or Captain Marvel, probably not a wriggly baby boy. And yet, here we are. The wrinkly old man meets the wriggly new baby. And Simeon gathers this tiny, helpless child in his arms. Simeon, can you guess what you do next? <laughs> you burst into a song of praise. Now, I might need somebody to help Jonathan here. I need a singer. Everyone's gone quiet. If, if you come up, you've got to sing. Are you going to sing? No. Nobody going to do this. I'm going to... That's not how it works. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, I don't, I don't know the tune he would have sung. I'll do this bit for you, but I'm not doing the next bit for you, okay? I'm just going to make up a tune. My eyes have seen your salvation, a light for the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Okay. Can we edit that from the recording, please? I don't want that held for prosperity. Okay, Simeon, can you guess what you did next? This actually technically isn't in the Bible, but in my imagination, this is what happens. I think as Simeon is singing, he bursts into a little dance. <laughs> Will you do me a little dance? Okay. Jonathan, I know you can do better than that. Yeah. Okay. And in my imagination, Simeon, this 200-year-old geriatric, bursts into a groove through those arthritic hips that lasts for several minutes. But we're not going to inflict you or Jonathan uh, with that. We haven't got time. So why did Simeon burst into song and maybe dance? Because Simeon knew that this little baby was going to rescue God's people. And not just God's people, but all people. 
At that moment, Jesus probably didn't look like he was going to rescue anyone. He was only six weeks old. Nevertheless, this is your moment. Mary and Joseph marveled at what they heard. Can you do marveling? Very good. Very good. Good marveling. But hang on a second. Simeon, you're not finished. This would not be a simple rescue. This was not some Hollywood actioner where the hero runs through a sea of bullets without taking a hit, emerging completely unscathed. No, this would be a costly rescue. Simeon, this is what you say next. Shall I say this for you? This child will grow up to be misunderstood and rejected. This will be a costly rescue, a sacrificial rescue. Jesus would take the hit. But this would be a perfect rescue. A rescue planned since the beginning of time. Now, God had told Simeon all of this. Simeon knew this tiny helpless baby was God's Christmas present to the world. The greatest Christmas present the world has ever known. So as the countdown to Christmas begins, in all the craziness that's going to take hold, Let's pray that, like Simeon, we will save the first of our enthusiasm, the best of our energy, to thank God for this tiny, helpless baby, to marvel that the birth of this baby is the beginning of the greatest rescue of all. Round of applause for our actors, please. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, actors. Thank you. Thank you for packing away the temple as well, Rich. That's very good of you. Justin, do you have some notices, some children-focused notices for us? Thank you. Right, can I, can I have the first one, please? Graphics working this week. So, uh, notices for the youth and everybody else who's under the age of going to heaven because you're still children. Uh, our School's Out Christmas activity morning is on the 10th of December. Um, there are some flyers on the back table for you to invite people. Uh, more importantly, this event doesn't happen unless people turn up and help me put it on. Uh, so I need to know who can be here on that Saturday morning uh, for table hosts, uh, which basically means you sit on a table and chat and maybe help somebody cut something or get your fingers stuck together with sellotape or glue. Uh, you may have guessed everything is Christmas themed, uh, so you may come out covered in tinsel and looking like an angel, or you may not, the choice is yours. Um, but also we need people just to make sure that the morning runs smoothly. Uh, 10 to 12, I need people here from about 9 o'clock to help us set up, and normally we're out of here by 1 having cleared everything away. I definitely need people here to help us clear because there's a booking coming in at half past 1. So, 
That's Christmas schools out. There's only one this year you'll be pleased to hear. Chloe, can we read the other one? Right. So, we've already seen it on the notices, and those of you who follow uh, the uh, Facebook, see it's already on Facebook. I'm sharing it out there, please. 18th of December is our nativity service this year. Uh, it is entitled Saving Christmas. Um, don't fully sigh a big relief sigh if I've not spoken to you about taking part. Because this is one of those where, apart from three of us who've seen the script, nobody knows what's going to happen on the morning. So if you think this was improvisation, we're back to a fully improvised Christmas nativity service. It will be fun. It should be humorous. It should be fast-moving. It will include all our favourite Christmas carols. If you think back of some of the ones which we've had over the last few years of Claire improvising being our star, leading everybody round the hall and all that sort of thing, it is that sort of morning. Some of you are going, oh, really? Yes, it is. And also, it is an invite-out morning. Invites started going out yesterday at the market. We have got invites to deliver on carol singing, which is the Tuesday beforehand in the local area. There are invites on the back table. There will be invites on the tables over the next, next week for you to get out and invite people. We would love to be back to the position that we were in, what, about six, seven years ago when we did one like this, where actually Living Stones were asking you to stand at the back because all the seats were taken. That's our prayer, that we make this um, accessible to people, but leaving everything of Jesus and God in our story. So, please, get it sharing, get inviting people. Uh, we will be asking for help, hopefully, on the Saturday to help us set up, because we're going to build the stage and everything. But we'll talk about that in a week or so's time. That's my two notices. Okay. So, children, now is the time that we are going to disappear. So, visitors, you're welcome to come out with me uh, to what some people call Sunday school, but we call the Dangerous Club. So, um, if you want to have come out, we have got a story that we're looking a sideways look at like we normally do. Um, so, let's pray for our kids as we go. Father, I want to thank you that we have got children in our church. I want to thank you that we have got guests this morning who've brought their young people with them as well. We know children have a really special place in your kingdom and in your heart. I pray this morning, as we have fun, as we discuss a story out of your word, we'll learn something new about you. We also pray for the adults because we know they'll be sad when we leave. And we pray that they will also hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Um, I think if we take a five-minute break now before we ask Dennis to come and speak to us, would you like to start to hold this, Thomas? Okay. Kids, on your way out, if you have any money to... Um, for the children that we, uh, do you want to hold the draw fridge? There you go. Uh, support in Uganda, that would be uh, terrific. I'll also send the offering basket round. As we always say, if you're a regular here, please feel free to give. If you're a visitor, please do not feel obliged. <laughs> <laughs>
everybody welcome back hope everybody's got a cup of tea or coffee um before we invite dennis to come and speak to us today uh just a few notices uh so one thing that kaz uh said to focus on very urgently is the uh the carol singing which uh, we advertised it in our haste to get the uh, newsletter out a bit late yesterday morning. Uh, we advertised it for Tuesday the 12th. It's actually Tuesday the 13th of December, uh, and we will take that opportunity to distribute uh, some of these um, invites as well to the community as we, uh, as we bless them with our singing, I hope. Um, a quick advert for uh, River of Life Community Church are doing a World Cup watch-along on the 9th and 10th of December for the two evening quarter-finals matches. They put a question here. Will England and Wales make it through? I think I already know the answer to that. Um, but please do join them at uh, St Barnabas Church in Kingfisher Drive. Uh, there'll be snacks, there'll be drinks, and there'll be a talk at half-time. Um, the Monday testimony this week is Russ Taylor, who I believe was coming to Living Stones for a short time. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, yeah he was here. He's friends, friends with um, Robin and Ruth, isn't he? Um, so he's currently uh, living in Israel, but he will be um, speaking at 8 o'clock on Monday, uh, talking about his life and his, the, his walk with the Lord over the past 50 years. And the Zoom ID and the meeting passcode are on the newsletter and Kaz, I can see we need to change the date on there as well because we've still got 24th of October. <laughs> we'll make we'll make sure we do that for next week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we, want, we want people to notice it. Um, and finally, we will we have in our church lunch today. Visitors, you're definitely more than welcome to come and stay with us downstairs. Be served about 20 minutes or so after our, um, after our meeting. Uh, soup, which may or may not be spicy. We'll find out. Exciting. Rush, Russian roulette of soup. Um, it's what soup is it, Sue? Mystery soup. <laughs> Possibly spicy soup. Possibly not. I'm guessing parsnip, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. There we go. That's a reason to come down. We will. Uh, all soup is good. Romanescu. No, that's good. We could put one on the table to look at, maybe. <laughs> Dennis, would you like to come to the front? So Dennis last spoke to us, I think, probably about six months ago. Is that right? It was, it was certainly a lot warmer, and we were all quite envious about the fact that you spend your Sunday mornings on the beach. Pre preaching on the beach, not, 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 not hanging out on the beach. So let me, I just want to ask you a couple of questions before we start. So basically, first of all, how have you been? Um, been keeping well, thank you. And um, basically, since the weather's gotten a bit rough, um, we've been having our services more at our flat, um, but prior to that, we were going out onto the beach um, on Sundays, basically, um, and um, preaching and um, ha having open air services, but also talking to people, engaging with people. Um, so yeah, that's how we've been. I'm just curious as to like who, I mean, a lot of holidaymakers in eSports, so did you just kind of get into conversations with people who are just out there for a Sunday stroll or, uh, you know, who are, who are down here visiting and things like that? 
We do get quite a few holiday makers. Actually, we've had quite a few spectacular sort of um, happenings, really, um, with holiday makers where we had, for example, a couple who were in a hotel just above, because we go, we're usually near where the pier is, and just sort of across the road from us is a hotel, and there was a couple that had come all the way from Scotland, I think it was, and um, the wife was desperate for somewhere to go and worship. She was really, really, it was Sunday, and she was saying to her husband, oh, we just need to, I need to find a church somewhere. Then she had all this singing. <laughs> so, so she came rushing out. She basically grabbed her husband, came rushing out, and um, they came and they joined us. And, you know, we gave her the mic as well. She said she'd never sung in a church before. So we gave her the mic, and I got to get on my guitar, and we sort of um, had a bit of worship together. And she was so, like, it just made her day. It it made their holiday, basically. So we get quite a few holiday people, um, but we also get, interestingly, quite a few young people. Um, there's a group of um, lads, I'd say probably young men in their sort of 30s and 40s who are usually positioned not far away from where we are. They kind of come and they have their alcohol with them and they have their cigarettes with them and they usually have their loud music. And you know, funnily enough, every time when we come when we arrive, they turn their stereo off, they turn the thing off, and then they sit there just chatting among themselves. We reckon they're listening because we've had one or two of them actually come and join us and speak to us. So, um, yeah, um, and we've had s uh, quite a few young young folk as well, which surprised us, actually. And um, we've had quite a few, because we play African music, we've had quite a few really young kids, and they get drawn with the sort of the beats and everything, and you can see mom and dad going, oh, go away from that lot, go away from that lot, don't know what to make of it. But we've had, there was one lady, looked Japanese, I remember, and she had this young girl, and she was an absolute dancer. I mean, she just had it in her DNA, and she just... The music just, she couldn't stop it. She just wanted to carry on dancing and dancing and dancing. And we were like, you definitely have a dancer there. You definitely, you, you want to do something with that gift because there's something really special about that young girl. Um, and so, yeah, um, we, we get to meet all sorts. Um, we, we've had meetings with um, young lads as well, sort of teenagers, quite a few meetings with teenagers that um, just sort of think, this is strange. These guys doing street preaching and they're a bit curious. So they come and they sort of ask us a few questions and stuff, which I'll speak a bit more about. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dennis. I won't ask you any more questions. I'll get you get into the, the meat of what you're going to say. Let me just pray for you first. Heavenly Father, thank you for our brother, Dennis. Thank you, Lord, for the work that he's doing in, in our little town. And Lord, thank you for all the things um, in his life that have brought him here to be with us this morning, Lord. Father, would you, um, would you give him a fresh anointing this morning with the words that that come from him, be spirit-filled words, would they speak to each of us on an individual and a collective level? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Bless you. So for those of you that aren't aware, my name is uh, Dennis, and um, I'm here with my wife and our little fellowship, a little fledgling fellowship. We've been going just something like sort of 10 months to a year, something like that. And... Um, yeah, we come from a church out in Africa. My wife and I um, got married there uh, back during lockdown in 2020. And um, they um, prayed for us. They blessed us in our marriage. They, they sort of helped us with the preparation for marriage. And as we came here, um, they were like, well, we really sense God is challenging you to plant a church, to, to, to start 
a work really where you are. So we, um, we, we've come here in a way um, under the unction. This is something that has been very much in my heart to do from over 20 years ago. Um, the Lord gave me a word, a scripture about church planting um, many, many years ago. And it just sort of stayed dormant. Um, I didn't quite do anything about it. But I want to say to you that God's word has its season. Um, every, everything he speaks, he speaks and he has purpose in speaking because everything you see around you came because of God's word. Um, your own lives, literally. Uh, the reason you're sat there right now breathing, it's God's word that's keeping you alive. Um, so you, when God speaks, there's purpose. There's a lot of intent and there's a lot of potential, a lot of potency is the word really I'm looking for. Um, and so he spoke into my life over 20 years ago. One of the things he said was about church planting, and it just stayed dormant. But now clearly is the season um, that, um, and evangelism as well. Um, I've got lots of other spiritual gifts that out of God's grace he's blessed me with. Um, I love leading worship. I love pastoral work. I love doing bits and pieces. But I remember when I was at university, God said to me about doing evangelism. And... Um, I was part of a Christian union then at Leeds University, and we used to go out into the local, we had like a Christian union sort of, uh, um, it was pretty much like a pub really, and they converted the main hall into a pub on Saturday evenings. So we would we planned when we were there to have our Christian meetings, Christian union meetings early, so that we would finish early, so that we could actually go into the club and into the pub and just talk to people, um, just um, whatever, and I, I, at that time, I thought, you know, I think I quite like this. This is actually not bad. You just go meeting anybody and you talk to them. And during that time, we saw a Christian Union grow from about eighty odd to about over two hundred, and most of those were first time converts. Um, what happened really? A lot of it actually was they made this brilliant decision to split us into house groups. Um, so depending on where you stayed and that you would establish a little house group where you are, a little cell group where you are. And then the idea was, during that time, to keep thinking creatively, asking the Lord, really, to speak to you about how to reach out to your community. And during that time, we saw growth happening within the house group setting, mostly. Um, and as people came to know the Lord in the house groups, um, they, the, the Christian Union expanded and increased. So during that time, um, God spoke to me about evangelism. And it's another of those words that kind of God spoke to me about. And then it kind of lay dormant. It didn't really, I, I, I didn't see how it would fit in terms of the last 20 years of my life. And now I can see it is very much something that I'm fully involved with. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I just want to encourage you. When God speaks his word to you, it has a season and there is a fruitfulness that he wants to bring. So he's about to speak to you right now. So there is going to be purpose and there's going to be potency in what God is going to say um, that um, is beyond our understanding very often. So I'd like to just speak on the whole subject of developing a culture of prayer. Um, developing a culture of prayer. Prayer is one of my passions. I love praying. And I love coming at it from the point of view of, at the end of the day, you're just talking to your Heavenly Father. Really, you're, you're talking to somebody, and He's talking to you. In fact, I love coming at the whole aspect of prayer as first listening and then responding to what you've heard. Uh, very often we come to God when we think of prayer. We, we think of, okay, what shall we pray for? 
and then we start thinking, okay, what what is it? What 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 things do we want on our list? What things do we want to bring before God to pray for? But I love sort of coming at it from the perspective of God, what have you got to say? And then letting my prayer, my conversation really develop out of that. And when I pray, um, a lot of the praying happens out of things that God has spoken. And sometimes there are things that are not necessarily spoken in that instant. It might be things that God spoke to me last week, a year ago, maybe a couple of months ago. And then they come back to my mind. And then I go, oh, yeah, Lord, you did say that, didn't you? And then a whole conversation comes out of that. And one of the things I like to think of is prayer is sometimes a bit like ruminating. Have you ever seen cows? And they just sat in a field and they kind of just... <laughs> they just... It's that little bit of grass that they've beaten has gone into one tummy, comes out, it gets regurgitated uh, <laughs> into their mouth again and they're chewing, 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 chewing and then into the second stomach. How many stomachs do they have? Is it two or three? I can't remember. <laughs> we, all, we need to go and Google this. <laughs> but basically, there is an element of prayer that's actually a little bit like that because basically, God speaks his word and his intent, his word is often in the Bible described as a seed. And I don't know about you, but have you ever planted a seed in the ground? What happens when you plant a seed? Do you leave it and then you walk away? <laughs> do you not come back to it and water it? And then you go, and then you come back to it and water it again? And then you go away, and then you come back to it, and then maybe you put a little bit of mulch, a bit of feeder, a bit of something. In other words, you have to keep coming back to the same spot again and again and again and again. And that, in a way, is what prayer is like. That's what that conversation with God is like. Very often God speaks... And when he speaks, sometimes we tend to go, oh, yeah, that was good. And we forget it and we wander off. But actually, to get the seed to grow, to get the seed to land, to fully get integrated into who we are, to germinate, to then become the fullness and in, come to that place of fruition, we have to keep going back to it. And we have to keep revisiting it. I don't know if any of you can remember some of the things God spoke to you. Do you keep going back to them? And do you keep revisiting them and talking to him about them? And letting your life be that continual conversation between him and you about the things that he has spoken to you about. So prayer is something that's meant to be an all-consuming thing in our lives. It's meant to be something that sort of consumes who we are, that sort of it goes much more than what you do that one hour in the morning when you sort of decide I'm going to have my quiet time or one hour in the evening. Prayer is meant to be something that we are constantly talking to God and he is constantly speaking to us. That's why the Bible encourages us. It tells us pray at all times without ceasing, even when you're driving, even when you're having lunch, even when you're talking to your family, your, your ears are attentive to hear because as you're praying, as that continual conversation is going on, God is depositing seeds. And those seeds are meant to bring forth 
something beautiful, something fruitful. I want to encourage us that actually the thing that God prizes most in our walk with him is that relationship. It is that relationship. You know, he sees us as precious. He sees us as extremely precious. And each one of us being highly valued, it is natural that God will want to communicate with us. It would be very strange if God said you're really precious and then he kind of just ignored you. Don't you think? He would want to communicate. And so the question is, do we want to communicate with him? So the reluctance is not on his part. It is actually on, more often than not, on our part. And so I want to just speak on this whole subject of developing a culture of prayer, but looking at it from a point of view of what are some of the hindrances that maybe stop us, some of the things that hinder us from having that lifestyle, that culture of prayer. I want to say to you that actually what goes on here on earth, firstly, to say you and I are spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings. We tend to think of ourselves more as in terms of our bodies because we interact with each other through what we can see, through what we can feel, what we can talk. But actually, number one, first and foremost, we are spiritual beings. We have a spirit. And we are not the only spiritual beings in this creation. There are other spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings that are part of a spiritual creation, a spiritual world, if I can call it, a spiritual universe. And very often in this world, the things that we see happening in our material world, it is a consequence of what's actually happening in the spiritual world, in the spiritual realms. So we need to sort of start thinking as Christians, as Christians, if I can put it that way, because Christ lived his life in the spiritual realm. We'll look at a passage of Bible that I will illustrate that. He lived his life physically as well. He ate and he made breakfast for his friends, for his disciples and everything. But the thing that pushed his physical life, the thing that motivated his physical life, was very often what was going on in the spiritual realm. He was often interacting with people, but even as he was interacting with people, he was interacting with spiritual beings. There were times when he was talking to his detractors, but he wasn't just talking to them. He was actually talking to what's behind his detractors. There are times when he was speaking, and as he was speaking, he, was, he knew that his words were not just to his immediate disciples, but there were words that were going out into the spiritual realms to affect generation after generation after generation. So he lived very much, he understood very much this idea that actually a lot of what we see going on physically, a lot of the struggles that we see going on in our natural realm, they are a consequence of what's going on in the spiritual realm. I'll give you a, a, an illustration of this. Um, on one occasion when we went to um, the seafront and we had an open air service, it was one of those occasions I probably won't forget in a long time, um, when it felt like we had people in the palm of our hands. There were so many people that were sat or stood around us listening to what we were saying. I was preaching that day from Isaiah 55. 
And if, and if you remember Isaiah 55, God is pleading through the prophet Isaiah saying, come, come to the waters, come, come by without any food, without any money, come, listen to me and eat the best that you could possibly have. And as I was sharing, really, those two things that sort of struck me, one was I really felt at one with God's heart for that moment. I really felt that it was literally like God was in me, speaking through me to the people that were around. And then the other thing that stood out to me was the attention that suddenly people who would normally just walk past us were stopping and looking. Well, to let you in on a little bit of info, leading up to that, particular day, that particular service, our church had three weeks of pretty intensive prayer that were going on back in Africa. And I believe that what we experienced that day was a direct consequence of all that prayer that was going on. I mean, seven days leading up to that particular day, I also felt in my spirit to just pray and fast. And so as something was going on in the spiritual realms, we saw a consequence physically happening. And the consequence of that was people who would normally just walk past suddenly were drawn. Really, a strange magnet was pulling them to want to hear God's word. And it, it really emphasized in me, I mean, it's something I have known, but it kind of re-emphasized in me the importance of prayer in terms of allowing providing that opportunity for God to do what he wants to do. Now, when we pray, a lot of things happen. Very often, there are things that happen beyond you and I understanding when we pray. Sometimes we tend to look at prayers, just me and God talking. I'd like us to look at a scripture, James chapter 5, verse 16. It's a well-known scripture. And um, this is what it says. James chapter five, verse sixteen. Confess your sins or your trespasses. I'll read it in New King James. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And he goes on to say, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. He goes on to say, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was like you and I. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. In other words, Elijah was a person just like you and I. No different to you and I. 
the same likes, the same passions, the same things that sort of wound you up. I'm pretty sure wound him up. And yet, the thing that made a difference in his life was something about his prayer. Something about the fact that he prayed. And this scripture, I think, I don't know what you've thought of this before. But here, in this scripture, we are told, number one, to confess our trespasses one to another so that we may receive that healing. There is actually a, a right place for, before coming to God, actually, in a way, thinking, Lord, is there anything between me and you that is going to be a hindrance, that is going to be a stumbling block, something that will stop me from being able to hear from you. And so there is a right place for actually coming to a holy God and acknowledging that we are not necessarily a holy people. There are things that are obstacles. And so when we confess our sins to one another, it's, it's effectively saying, Lord, I want to come clean. I want to acknowledge that there are things that are in my life that are disappointment to you. It's quite a courageous thing to confess one's sins to other people, isn't it? It's, you know, it's easier to do it in the privacy of just between you and God, but actually doing it with other people. Can I suggest to you that the reason is a very difficult thing, and it's a courageous thing to do, is that it commands, it requires, rather, humility, doesn't it? And God is drawn to humility. He's actually very much drawn to humility. In fact, when it comes to pride, 1 Peter 5 tells us that actually God resists the pride, the proud person. So there is something about humility that immediately cultivates a culture that wants to draw God nearby. And then he goes on to say the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. There is a kind of prayer that you can pray. I would say maybe not just a prayer, an individual prayer, but a whole prayer lifestyle that you can have. But there is a, a prayer culture or a prayer, even put it specifically, there is a kind of prayer that you can pray whose influence will be felt a thousand years from now. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Imagine that, that your prayer could have an impact that outlives you. Now, actually, God's purpose and his design was that you and I, as human beings, would actually have something. We would leave a deposit. It's something I often share, really, um, with people as I'm out on, on the beaches. We are part of a story, and that we, we came into this world as part of a story, basically. In other words, we, we had parents. We didn't just appear, boom, out of nowhere. We had parents and grandparents, and so there was this story that happened before we appeared, and that story had an influence on us, and we get to influence what's happening after us. So there's this kind of thread that we get to be part of, and that was God's design. His intention was that your life would have an impact that goes far beyond your life, and here... We are told one way in which that is possible is certainly in the field of prayer because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. 
There is a kind of prayer that keeps doing its thing and it just keeps going on and on and on. And it's because that prayer went before God, before his throne, and it's as if that prayer is constantly before him and he is constantly acting. He is constantly responding. And we are told here, really, actually, there are a couple of things that are necessary for that prayer to happen. There's a, a few clues in this passage. Firstly, that it's effective. The effective prayer, it's got to be effective. In other words, it's possible to pray a prayer. It's possible to, to be ineffective in our praying. It's possible to be praying and not really see the fruit of our prayers. You know, it is discouraging to anybody, any human being would be discouraged if you are praying constantly and you weren't really seeing any consequence to your prayers. I mean, I've had answers to prayers even just the last few weeks that I've been looking back at and I've been really marveling and just going, wow, God, you're faithful. We sang earlier, what a faithful God I have. What a faithful God, you know, have I. God's, from God's perspective, he's not wanting to withhold anything in terms of the goodness that he has to offer for us. But it is possible for us, if we don't understand what prayer is, to actually be ineffective in our praying. For example, we can very often, and I think it is something that is very prevalent in this culture, in our land, we very often think of prayer as a religious activity. We very often come to prayer from a perspective as that's something you do, and you do it in a certain way. And we can very often think of prayer as, you know, religion in a way. But actually, I want to introduce another thought to you. I want to introduce something slightly different. Prayer, there is there's the sort of conversational prayer that we can have with God. But the word prayer itself, the word itself to pray is actually from the word plea, which is the original Greek word plea, and it's actually a legal activity. Praying is actually very much a legal activity. You know, when Jesus wanted to teach on this, if you turn to your Bibles, Luke chapter 18. I didn't mean to go to that passage, but I will. <laughs> okay. Luke chapter 18. And it's a parable of a persistent widow. And we're going to see how when Jesus wanted to teach on prayer, he actually takes us to a courtroom, to a court scene. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. So the purpose of this parable was to encourage us to pray and never give up, to be continual in our prayer. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge 
who neither feared God nor cared what the people thought. A judge, where do judges work? In court, don't they? And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a what? Plea, exactly, with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. Yes. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, grant me justice against my enemies. Remember what I said at the beginning, a lot of what's going on here on earth is because there's stuff happening spiritually in the heavens that is affecting our lives. See, Jesus did not come on this earth to establish a nice religion where we come to church, we sing nice happy songs, and we go home. And then we come back, we sing nice happy songs, and we go home. Nothing wrong with singing nice happy songs. I love singing worship songs. But actually, Jesus, when he was thinking about his church, he was thinking about government. He was thinking about governing. He was thinking about authority. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. To put it another way, there is something of a sphere of influence and authority you have been given over your community spiritually that he's waiting for you to sit and take up, to grab hold of. So this lady comes saying to, to Jesus, um, Hello, judge. Give me justice against my adversary. Very often in the Bible, where you see that word justice, we tend to think of it as God kind of being judge and kind of thumping his enemies. But actually, there's an element of justice. The Jewish mind would have understood justice very much in connection with prayer. Because when God says righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne, he's actually speaking very much about this idea that he is judge, and as judge, he gets to expend certain, what can you say, decrees, maybe? His laws, his decrees, that's how he interacts pretty much with his creation. And as judge, there are all these voices he listens to, and then he makes a decision based on all those things. There are voices that are constantly coming before him, by the way, to do with your life, <laughs> and to do with your church. Some of them for, and some of them not necessarily for. That's why our Bible tells us there is an enemy, there is an adversary, and the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Where would an accuser be doing the accusing? Yes, there is the accusing that he does to us personally, but there is a more sinister accusation that he is doing before the throne of God. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Where was Satan doing the asking? before the throne of God, to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that you, your faith, may not fail. Well, here, this judge basically um, was constantly being nagged by this lady. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what the people think, 
Yet because this woman keeps nagging me again and again and again, she keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said, this is what Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? In other words, you have here in Jesus' story two extremes. You have a really mean, stingy, horrible, cruel judge. And you have on the other end of the spectrum a widow. Now, in Jewish culture, the widows were kind of the lowest of the low. Because the understanding in Jewish culture was that when you were married, your husband kind of looked after your needs. If your husband died and you are a widow, his brother looked after your needs. If that brother died and you were left a widow again, his brother looked after your need. And that would carry on until there was no more brother, if you like, no more man left. So this widow was at the point where she had no other help. She had literally nothing left. And so she comes before a judge and says to a judge, hey, give me my vengeance against my adversary. The only thing that would inspire that sort of pluckiness, I would suggest, is this lady must have known something about her rights. She must have known something about her rights. She must have known that even though I'm a widow, and even though I've got nothing really sticking up for me, nothing kind of there, kind of pulling my corner, nothing sticking up for me, yet still there is something that this judge is bound by which gave her the confidence to come before him and with that confidence, she was able to keep nagging the judge and saying, hey, give me my vengeance upon my adversary. Let me say this to you, that God has chosen to bind himself in a way by his word. He has chosen to limit himself in a way, well, it's not really limiting himself because his word is absolutely exponential in terms of what it can do. But he has said, I think it's Psalm 138, I have exalted my word even above my name. In other words, as judge, he will always stick to his word. He will always deliver what his word says. And so if you want to be effective in our praying, remember James 5, 6, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person, the first thing you've got to do is we've got to get into his word. You couldn't really go to a court and argue a case if you didn't really know the law, would you? You couldn't really go there and argue it on the premise of emotion. Yes, the judge might be compassionate and you might feel, yeah, I can see your point. You're being hurt a lot by this person. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, the judge will say, what does the law say? He is bound by that framework. And to learn to be effective in prayer, you and I 
need to become familiar with what's written in the book so that we can be, how shall I say, skillful, maybe, in our praying. We, we can see it as something where we learn, we, we train ourselves. We say to God, God, teach me, because I want to be effective in my praying. Is what John 15 says. John chapter 15, verse 7. I love this scripture. Some of you will have heard this, I'm sure. John 15, verse 7. If you remain in me, Jesus says, and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. How many of us would love to have a 100% success rate with our prayers? 100% <laughs> success rate with our prayers. Here we're being told the door, the key. It is very much like that widow. She knew what the scripture said concerning her rights, what was her due. And it's the same here. If we abide in God, which means if we get to know him, if we decide to immerse ourselves in him, if we decide to really prioritize, it's a word I really feel is important to bring when it comes to prayer, because very often we say about prayer, when you come to culture of prayer, we often think, well, I don't really have the time. There are all these other things pressing in. There are all these other things that are kind of squeezing into my life. But actually, I think very often it's to do with priorities, because if something is really important to you, if something is important to you, you live and miss sleep, I reckon. <laughs> if it is desperately, desperately important to you, you will decide, I will move through thick or thin. And I think sometimes the reason prayer takes a back seat is because maybe it's not quite that important. We haven't quite grasped the fact that really it is a thing that can so change the course of what's going on in my life and what's going on, not just in my life, but in generations to come. And so Jesus here is saying in John chapter 15, there is that kind of prayer that will automatically get an answer, will automatically get a response from heaven. And the conditions are simply that we abide in God, which means we immerse ourselves in him. We get to know his motives. We get to understand how the judge thinks. We get to understand the things that he's excited about, the things that disappoint him, the things that make him angry, the things that make him sad. And then we get to understand his word. That's a bit like the lawyer, knowing the law. That's why you pay a lawyer, isn't it? To represent you in court. Because you're paying really for his understanding of the law and his ability to wield it for your benefit. There are some countries, in fact, recently I was listening to a story of something that was going on in the States where they were saying basically the rich are able to basically win their, their, their way in court because they can afford the best lawyers. 
And what do the best lawyers do? They can look for that tiny little law in the 18th century that was written by somebody somewhere that said they have to do X, Y, and Z. And that gets them <laughs> off the hook because the judge is bound, or the jury even, are bound by that law. And so effective praying is a lot to do with understanding the judge's mentality, getting into his mind a bit, and also understanding his word, because he's bound by his word. So prayer is very much a legal activity. I'd like you to start thinking of prayer as you grabbing your rights. Start thinking of it as a legal activity. There are adversaries, that's what this widow in Luke 18, there are adversaries arrayed against us. There are adversaries who wish your church doors to close. They look forward to the day that this building will just be just a nice building, maybe used by a school or somewhere. And they are making an argument before the throne in heaven. They're out there looking for every opportunity in the book, saying, ah, but that group of people, we have reason to bring accusation against them, God, because they have done X, Y, and Z. It's the same in your life and in my life. There is an adversary, and he is accusing, the Bible tells us, day and night. And so it's about time you and I, as Christians, got skillful. We walk up to this and realize, hey, what's going on up there might be affecting what's going on down here. And so I need to get understanding. I need to begin to understand, Father, help me to see, open my eyes to see how you see my life to see the things that are going on in my life. Let me give you an example. Very often, when somebody irks you, when somebody does something that's really irritating, when somebody does something that's hurtful to you, it's actually not to do with that incident. It's not to do with that thing. It's more that you have an adversary who wants to sow unforgiveness in your heart. That's number one hindrance, I was going to say, to prayer being answered, is unforgiveness. When somebody does something that really feels like you've been kicked, you've been stood on, it's not very often to do with that thing. It is more that you have an adversary who wants to sow in your heart that spirit of unforgiveness. Why? Because when you harbor unforgiveness, it hinders your prayers. Especially for those of you that are spouses. I'm sure you've come across that very often. Where your wife or your husband does something and you're like, ah, <laughs> that's really annoying. The Bible actually is quite clear. 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says, Husbands, treat your wife with gentleness, with respect, so that your prayers may not be oops, hindered. In other words, unforgiveness can actually be a source of hindrance. It can hinder your prayers. And there's an adversary who's very much, he's, he has a vested interest in hindering your prayers because he knows the potency that your prayers can bring. Why? Because God loves us. He's intent on hearing us. He's, he's bent. There's a psalm, I think it's Psalm 118 or 116, one of them, that says that, Every time, I love the Lord, David said, because every time I cry out to him, he inclined his ear to me. It's a lovely psalm. 
means every time I begin to speak to him, God actually bends and he listens. He inclines his ear. Hey, what's Dennis saying? And if we could have that attitude towards prayer, it'd be quite encouraging, isn't it? We have that immediate access, that immediately. You know, I remember hearing this story about Tony Blair. I don't know if you remember Tony Blair's days. And back in the day, I think it was around about during the Iraq War. <laughs> during the Iraq War, which kind of has a very bad rep. And um, there was lots of meetings that were going on in the cabinet. And there was this story, apparently, that was told, a true story, about one of his sons when he was really young, who walked in straight through all these doors as the meeting was going on, and he walked straight into the cabinet office, and he went and he sat on Tony Blair's lap. As all these meetings were going on, and Tony Blair sort of grabbed him, picked him up, and sat him on his lap. Even though all these meetings were happening, there was this, this is my son. This is my son. I can't turn him back. And what was really fascinating was all the guards and everybody, I guess all the police staff and everybody, they see this young Leo, I think his name is, I can't remember. Um, he's probably a lot older now. They see him kind of walking through and they're like opening all these doors. <laughs> for this little kid as he's heading towards the cabinet office because he knows where my daddy is. And they're sort of wandering off. And there he is because he wants to be with his dad. That is such a picture of prayer that every time we stop and we say, Father, I want to speak to you, we have an ear with him. There is nothing too important for him that actually he wouldn't pick us up and say, hey, I want to hear what you've got to say. So as judge, what God says has the get-go. He says the final say. But what he does is he listens to everything that's coming to him and then he makes a decision. So we read, for example, in Genesis 18, with the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God says, the cry has come up to me of all the evil that's going on in that land. In other words, there he was as judge, and there was this cry that came up to him about all the wickedness that was going on in the land. And so he came down to the earth. He said to Abraham, I have come down to the earth to see whether this is actually true to see what's really going on. There is constantly being presented before the throne above conversation. I like to think of it as like a case before God concerning our lives, concerning our churches, concerning the things that affect us as communities. And we need to start seeing that actually what happens here on earth what, what, what's going on in our lives, the struggles we are going through, they have an origin somewhere else. And so to be able to tackle that, we need to start establishing a culture, cultivating a culture of prayer, a culture that basically lives up there rather than down here. Coming back to that James scripture, James chapter 5 the effective, fervent prayer that widow knew what the book said. And so she persisted. She was like, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. The effective, persistent prayer. And it goes on to say, of a righteous person, doesn't it? Your standing is actually really, really important before the judge. Imagine if you stole from the judge 
And then you went to the judge and then you went to say to him, eh, I kind of need for you to hear my case. I need you to hear what I've got to say. Give me my rights. What do you think the judge will do? If your standing is not quite right, the judge will probably say you're the one that should be going off to jail, won't he? He'll be like, Oi, no way, I'm not listening to that. Our standing is really, really important. Satan's interest in you sinning, the whole purpose he sins, the whole purpose he tempts you rather to sin, he has no pleasure in the sin. He has no delight in the things that you do. His one interest is that you would lose your standing before the throne. That you would have no voice before the throne. That's his whole purpose, his whole aim. And so he will throw all manner of temptation. I believe that's why the whole situation happened between Potiphar and Joseph. Really, because Satan could see what was in Joseph was a big threat. It was a big, big threat. And so Potiphar was sent specifically to tempt Joseph so that his standing before God would be undermined. It is very much the same for you and I. When I grab this picture that actually the kind of life I live, the, the life I choose to live has a bearing on the voice that I have before the very throne where it really matters, I decided, right, Lord, it's about time I started really focusing on this holiness thing. Lord, you need to help me. I choose holiness. I choose righteousness. I choose to walk in obedience to you. And it's not to say I haven't been getting it wrong since. There's times I keep getting it wrong, but I'm determined. I say to myself, I want to learn because this makes a difference. This really does make a difference. My prayer life, in a way, can be affected by the choices I make. So there's a culture that we need to get into where actually we see our lives as being affected very much by what's going on in the heavens above. The whole reason I am a Christian, I believe, is because I had a praying grandma. I had a praying, probably not the only one, but there was lots of other people who prayed. And because of her prayers, my life got turned upside down. There are other people whose lives are, are going to be turned upside down because of the things that God will do through me. And it all starts from my praying grandma. But maybe she had somebody else who was praying before her. And maybe she had somebody else who was praying before her. Can you see how God just takes one little thing? I like to think of it like a seed. <laughs> Don't speak about that vegetable you're talking about. It's like a seed. Um, you know, a seed goes into the ground and thousands of years later, it's still living. It's still having an impact. It goes in, comes back, goes in, comes back, goes in, comes back. So, what are the hindrances to our praying? Unforgiveness, I've already mentioned. Very often, that can be a big block. I want to suggest as well that we have a culture in this nation where we are a nation of achievers. There is this sense that actually we, going back, I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Industrial revolution, you look at all manner of things that you look at the history. And those things are not bad. 
Many of them are blessings, big blessings. But that in itself can sow a pride that then becomes a hindrance or an obstacle to the culture of prayer. Because God responds to humility. God responds. He's drawn to humility. If, if there is pride, we read in 1 Peter 5, or 7, I think it is, God opposes the proud. And we are a nation very much of achievers. Sometimes we feel if we are not planning it, it's going to come apart. If we don't plan it, if we don't plot it, if we don't sit there, because we feel somehow our confidence is more in our ability, and it's a cultural thing, I think, to plan, to put together. And because of that, it's not a bad thing to plan. It's not a bad thing to be organized, I would say. You know, Mary and Martha in that story, the lovely story, um, that um, it wasn't a story, it was real happening, isn't it? Um, Martha invites Jesus home, and Mary kind of decides to sit at Jesus' feet while Martha's in the, in the kitchen, busily kind of cleaning up, doing all sorts of things. There is value in what Martha was doing, in that people need dishes, they need pots and pans, don't they, to eat. But actually, sometimes it can feel very vulnerable to say, do you know, I'm going to put that down and I'm going to prioritize, come back to that word, that actually just being with God. If I was to say to you guys, why don't we have like a weekend of prayer or a week, a whole week of prayer? Culturally, you might think, how does that work? <laughs> you might think, well, I've got all these responsibilities. I've got all these things I need to do. How is that going to work? Remember I suggested this at the Christian Union when I was at university. Why don't we have like a whole week of ongoing continual prayer where we could have a little book and people could commit to just bringing an hour of their day, two hours of their day for a whole week and we would just come before God, we set aside a room and we decided we'll just bring it in prayer. I did it at a church in Bristol where I lived a while back and I remember the first thought people were like, what are we going to do? This was just that one day. I thought, let's just start with one day. <laughs> and people are like, what are we going to do for a whole day? How are we going to be praying all day? Because it just somehow in our psyche, I think as a nation, sometimes trying to understand this idea of continual prayer can be difficult. There are other cultures where maybe it comes a lot easier. I mean, we come from a culture where we do this sort of thing frequently. And it's not that sort of strange or uncommon um, for it to happen. But somehow, I think there is something behind the fact that we are a nation of achievers and we are a nation whose confidence is in our ability and our enabling, and there's a history behind that. I think there's something of that that works against establishing a culture of prayer, having a culture of Lord you know, I'm going to put all this down and I'm going to pray. I'm going to finish with this, really. A lot of things we miss when praying we do not do. The Gentile church was birthed in the place of prayer. Peter decided to give up his lunch times for a number of, goodness knows, days, weeks. And one lunchtime, God revealed to him something. The disciples, Jesus' own disciples, it all started in the place of prayer. Read in Matthew, I think it's in Mark actually, he's 
gospel, Jesus went and spent a whole night praying. And then the next day, he went by the seaside and started calling them out, one after the other, after the other, after the other. There are many opportunities we miss when we do not pray. There are many things that we walk past when we do not hold that place of prayer with priority. Let's pray together. Heavenly King, teach us to pray. We see in Jesus a model. And as his disciples, we want to learn. We want to be like him. Jesus often got up very early in the morning because he recognized the value of praying. Father, it is my prayer that we will be less focused on, in a way, the things, the material things, and more with our eyes and our hearts, our spirits gaze upon the throne. Father, where there are hindrances, where there are obstacles, I ask, Lord, that you would point them out. Where we need to forgive people, where we have sin in our lives. Father, I ask that you'd point these obstacles out. Help us to have eyes that see as you see. Help us, Father, to understand the place of prayer. I thank you, Father, that you are God most high. And though we have an enemy who's plotting and scheming, you are fighting for us. You are fighting for us. And like this widow, Lord, we know you're a faithful God. Jesus said, how much more with your Father who knows your needs, who cares for you, how much more will he hear your plea? Pray you get us excited about prayer and get us excited about corporate prayer. Get us excited, Father, and enthused about that place where we talk to you. But more importantly, where we listen to the things you have to say. We pray that knowing that, Lord, you want to do things. There are things that are on your heart that you want to do in our community, in our families, in our lives. And we want to give you the permission to do them. We want to agree with that which you want to do. And so we ask, Father, just simply, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you very much, Dennis. A great encouragement, but also a, a challenge. The, the thought of the advocate and the thought that the, the law changes and having to stay up to date with what's happening and what's moving around, this kind of stuff, but the Bible doesn't change. And that's where we can, can advocate from. And the idea of uh, the Lord leaning in, and um, I want to take that forward now actually with uh, Jonathan's niece, Jamie, who's not been very well and has had a chest infection. She's a great support and help to Jonathan. So I just want to pray for her now, and then after that, I'll pray to close. I'll, I'll close in prayer, should I say. Heavenly Father, we lift uh, Jonathan's niece, Jamie, to you, Lord, with this uh, chest infection that she's got. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, that the cells in her body will be fighting that infection off, Lord, that your hand will be upon her, will be comforting her. Lord, you are the, the healing God, and Father, we pray for healing taking place in Jamie's body that she'll be back to full fitness and full strength as soon as possible. And for those uh, medical staff who interact with her, Lord, pray, Father, for kindness, comfort, um, and that those skills that they've been taught and they've been blessed with, they'll use, her, they'll use them to full effect to help Jamie. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so lunch will be served downstairs fairly soon, in about 20 minutes. I'm sure the Borough Life Group would appreciate um, help clearing up. I'll just close in prayer now. Heavenly Father, Thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for that word from Dennis. Uh, thank you for Mandy's uh, leading us in worship. Thank you for Rich's uh, very beautifully acted family time. Um, Father, um, Lord, this week would we just create that time to reflect on what Dennis has shared about focusing on our prayer lives, about bringing our pleas to you, about knowing the word so that we can come to you, stand before you, and Lord, just thank you that you're the creator of heaven and earth, and yet here we are, we can talk directly to you, bring our, our requests, um, our thanks, our worship, our praise. We lay that all before you. Father, bless us as we go this week. Bless those who aren't with us too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.